Hannibal had crossed the Alps with his large Carthaginian army. It had been a costly crossing where he had lost many of his renowned and feared war elephants. His descent into the Italian peninsula meant two things. He now threatened Rome, the great capital of the Romans, but by doing so, he had released the unrelenting Roman army upon him, who, for the rest of the war, pursued him with multiple armies all the way to his homeland to make amends to the insult Hannibal had given the Romans. This is a description of the Second Punic War, one of the many wars where the two greatest powers in the Western Mediterranean faced off. As many of you know, the Romans end up winning the Punic Wars and eventually defeat the Carthaginians and actually destroy Carthage itself once and for all. But why did these wars happen? How did they start? And why did they change the path of Roman history? Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the AIQ podcast. My name is Alexander Goodman and on this podcast we're talking about the Punic Wars, how Rome became an empire. We've got a special guest, Christopher Kearney. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, my name's Chris. I'm a master's student here at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David in Lampeter, uh, doing ancient history. I've been on uh, the course the same amount of time uh, Alex has. Uh, my main area of research is I do... Um, Hellenistic history, mainly the Eastern Seleucid Empire. Uh, but I did my undergrad dissertation on Polybius and um, Livy and stuff like that. So I've done a lot of reading about the Punic Wars, which is why Alex has got me on to talk about it today. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. So to start with, let's have a brief overview of the Punic Wars. Um, there are three of them. So let's delve into this. Would you like to take it away? Uh, yeah, so obviously the, the first Punic War is the, the first one. Um, it happened, starts in uh, 264 BC, ends in 241 BC. It's the longest of the three. Um, and the war essentially happens because of Roman fear over um, Carthaginian control over Sicily. They think that if Carthage controlled all of Sicily, then they'd be more easily able to invade southern Italy, which the Romans hmm. weren't particularly... They weren't going to like that idea very much, I don't think. No, so. no, not really. <laughs> so, yeah. Um yeah, the the war the war starts. It's it's a it's a very similar pattern to how a lot of Roman wars start, which I think is something we're gonna get to later. But essentially, um, there's a city called um, Masana, which sits on one side of the Sicilian Straits. It's on the Sicilian side of the Sicilian Straits, opposite Regium, which is. Can in... you just explain what the Sicilian Straits are for any? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Don't so, know? so the Sicilian Straits is just it's the it's the bit of water in between the boot of southern Italy and. Um, the actual island of Sicily. And so Masana is the city that's on the Sicilian side of that uh, bit of water with Regium being the city on the other side in yeah. Italy. Um, and th th this city of Masana had been um, quite unceremoniously, if you read um, Polybius, it'd been uh, essentially conquered by, um, or, or taken over perhaps, is a better way of describing it, by a group of mercenaries from Campania in southern Italy called the Mamertines, who'd originally been hired by the, the king of Syracuse. Um, and th they'd basically been occupying this city for a number of years. Um, and at, at, during their occupation, they'd been um, launching um, raids into so Syracuse, who controlled the southeastern corner of Sicily. And um, Carthaginian controlled Sicily. They controlled pretty much the whole of the west of Sicily. Yeah. Um, and so they'd sort of been annoying the Carthaginians and Syracusans. Yeah. So 
they the, were effectively rogue at this point. They were just yeah, yeah, attacking they, whoever they wanted. Yeah, to. they were pretty pretty independent, and they were just doing whatever they wanted. Um, and the Carthaginians decided that they were fed up with this, so yeah. they uh, <laughs> sent an army to go besiege the city of Masana. Um, and the Syracusans, uh, not wanting the Carthaginians to have control over Masana, sent an also raised an army and sent that army to Masana as well. And so there were these two armies sieging the city at the same time. Mm. At which point, these uh, mercenaries, the Mamertines, um, sent envoys to Rome to ask the Romans for help. Um, and the Romans end up uh, in their usual fashion. If you read Polybius, they debate this stuff for ages. Yeah. There's all yeah. these long arguments, like you'd imagine in Parliament these days, right? Um, and they eventually come to the conclusion that they're, they're, they're too scared of the idea that the Carthaginians would control all of Sicily. Because they, 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 they feared that if the Carthaginians took Masana, they'd be able to attack Syracuse. And then controlling the whole island of Sicily, they'd be able to invade Italy, right? So they, they, yeah. they decide that that idea is too scary. Yeah. So they um, send an army um, led by uh, Appius Claudius Caudex. Um, and he goes down uh, to, the, to Masana. He says to the Carthaginians and the Syracusans, go away. They say no. Um, he fights them, defeats them. And that's pretty much the start of the war. Yeah, so it's it's uh, Rome getting involved because they're scared they're going to lose out effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that's how it uh, sort of started. So what happened next was that Rome came from Italy, went into the town of Messana, um, and then marched down to Syracuse because they saw Syracuse as uh, beneficial in two ways. So one. But having Syracuse on their side, they could ensure that any army they put and any troops they put in uh, Sicily, they would be guaranteed to have, uh, you know, food, water, they could be supplied and ready for combat. But also, Syracuse was really important because they were quite a, a wealthy society at that point, and they had a big navy, and Rome didn't really have much of a navy at this point. And one of the strongest points of the Carthaginians was their naval superiority, so they had to get the fleet of Syracuse to be able to compete. Yeah. I think that, that, that's one of the most important parts of uh, one of the things that makes the first Punic War stand out to me the most is that mo most Roman wars are land-based, and obviously, the when you when you think of the Roman military force, you think about their army, the the legionaries, the legions, auxiliaries, things like that, the the land tactics and things like that. But the the first Punic War is pretty much entirely naval, because um, I mean, land combat on Sicily. I, I mean, I'm not expecting people to know the geography of Sicily. Cause, no, but no. but it, it it it's really. Uh, like it's full of hills and volcanic mountains and it's it, as far as walking an army through there it's pretty awful yeah um so like land combat really doesn't feature very heavily in the first punic war mm. it's, it's it's pretty naval which no. is a at the start a major problem for the romans because they they don't yeah really they, they, don't, they don't have a navy they have yeah, to make they don't, the they don't really have a navy for this if yeah it's effectively yeah so yeah. it's it's quite interesting that um so we've talked uh before like on the other podcast with alexander the great it was all very land-based and all of the of history really has been very land-based at this point sort of and now a war is erupting which is mostly naval it's very strange yeah. um very alien at this time um, but it was something that had to be done because they could not face Carthage without a navy and they had to get it somehow. And Syracuse was the easiest way. Yeah, th I, th I think I think the, the, the capture of Syracuse as well, um, probably it, it, it depends on who you believe. P Polybius says that the Romans copied their ship designs off Carthaginian ships, but some historians argue that the, the Syracusans actually would have helped them in designing ships. Mm. Um, so if, if, you, if you believe that um, theory, I suppose, then yeah, that, the Syracusans were especially important and and another reason um for the 
siege of Syracuse is, is as part of that treaty, they, they bring Syracuse in as an ally. Um, so they're not actually fighting the Syracusans there. The Syracusans are instead on their side, which yeah helps massively, I think. Yeah. So what, what's also interesting is when the siege actually happens and Rome comes down to Syracuse and uh, besieges them, um, there's no Carthaginian aid at all. So they they quite convincingly win the siege and get Syracuse on their side. And, uh, you know, it's an opportunity wasted for the Carthaginians, really. Yeah, I think Poly- Polybius does actually know, I think, that the, the, the Syracusans are waiting for the Carthaginians to come and help them, which just yeah. never happens. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's one of a few things that Carthage seems to slip up on really quite early on in the war because Polybius mentions it that the Carthaginians have overwhelm, overwhelming naval superiority yet the, the Roman uh, army that is originally sent to Messana crosses the Sicilian Straits completely unhindered Yes, uh, and, and, and Polybius like yeah. points it out as like this is really weird why 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 did the Carthaginians just let them cross in yeah um, yeah especially when you think that uh, during the first uh, Punic War um, Rome had to build three uh, fleets because two of them got destroyed. So yeah. They evidently do have such a superiority there. Why did they let them cross? Yeah. It's quite quite strange, quite interesting. Yeah, no. The 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 the, the building three fleets thing is amazing to me cuz I mean so so the war lasts 23 years. Um it's, it's it I think I said earlier it's the longest of the Punic Wars. Mm, yes. But, um yeah, it's just that kind of the fact that the Carthaginians were so dominant navally um at the start of the war and then how that shifts following the war is quite stark yeah but what was uh, evident is that when they did have these fights inland and off land it was very uh give and take it was very even in uh sicily itself um with no clear winner and and until you have rome where actually rome is able to invade the african peninsula so yeah so, uh, so in, in 256 bc the the romans launch a military expedition into africa um under the command of uh, marcus Atilius regius um, and and it's not a very successful expedition. Um, the he he loses to a, a mercenary, Spartan mercenary commander in uh, two five five BC and is captured along with most of his soldiers. Um, and the, the the expedition is not very successful. But what it does do is it, it diverts Carthaginian focus away from Sicily briefly, and, and and it allows the Romans to build up there. So that in I think it's in two fifty BC is when they start actually making major territorial gains in Sicily. Yeah, and at that point it becomes really, um, uh, really solidified, and it's probably because of this failed attempt that they win the war because they managed to hold Sicily quite convincingly. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think that that is a, is a major aspect because uh, from from two fifty to uh, about two four seven they they take almost all of the island of Sicily, Carthage is. Um, left with pretty much just the northwestern tip of the island. Mm. Um, but it's at that point that they um, appoint a new commander over the Carthaginian uh, forces in Sicily, uh, Hamilcar Barco, who, uh, if you don't know, is the father of Hannibal Barco, who the very uh, becomes very important in the next uh, Punic War. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, So so he, he becomes commander of the Carthaginian forces in Sicily in 247. Um, and for the remainder of the war, because of uh, the tactics employed by Hamilcar, the Romans actually aren't able to advance further in Sicily. Yes, uh, he manages yeah. to uh, yeah. hold the Romans at a stalemate for pretty much six years. Um, yeah. So which... they still hold some importance in there, some uh, some influence in there. Yeah. But it's nothing like they had at that, that yeah. the beginning. And, and, and the war finally ends with... So, so there's, a, there's a little archipelago of islands just to the west of Sicily called the uh, Aigates Islands. Um, and it's it's there that the war is finally won for the Romans because, um, the, so the, the, obviously there's a battle there. It's a pretty massive naval battle. They're pretty much the entire Carthaginian fleet versus the entire Roman fleet, and the Romans managed to win 
um, that battle, uh, which essentially destroys Carthaginian naval superiority. Yeah. Uh, and forces the Carthaginians to uh, sign the Treaty of uh, Lutatius, which is named after the um, Roman consul who um, wrote up the treaty. Um, and yeah, that 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 is pretty much the end of the war, and the Treaty of Lutatius is pretty crippling. Yeah, because I mean they were in a very bad spot. They were just holding on to a little bit of Sicily as much as they could with um, Hamil, and then they just lost their 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 navy in in a big in a big fight. So really, they haven't got a leg to stand on. They had they've been forced into doing this treaty, and unfortunately, uh, you can see it in Hamil's resentment to Rome, where he felt that he could have continued the war, and he's been holding on very strong. He felt he could he could actually make some gains and progress yeah um, which but, is which is important uh later with the second Punic yeah War, if you believe yeah Polybius, at least. one of the reasons it might yeah. happen but yeah so they definitely get forced into it and you know unfortunately carthage um just lost their power at the yeah. wrong time and then and then the treaty of lutatius doesn't go well for them either because so so the carthaginians are forced to cede all of sicily they have to cede the uh, agates islands uh they have to evacuate all of the islands that they controlled between Sicily and Africa. And there's a couple other islands um, north of Sicily, I think, as well, that they have to cede. Yeah, and they also had to pay uh, 3,200 talents of silver to the Romans over 10 years, which is a crippling sum of money yeah, at this time period. It's a lot of money. Um, mm. And yeah, there's uh, obviously the forbidden from attacking each other. And what, one, one important thing as well is that um, both sides were forbidden from recruiting mercenaries in each other's territory, which is... A big deal for Carthage because a lot of their land forces um, in Sicily were um, Gallic mercenaries mm. from uh, north of Rome's territory in Italy. Um, yeah, they were very mercenary orientated. Yeah, um, a... for instance, like when they uh, repelled the invasion in Africa, it was by a mercenary commander. Yeah, it's a, you know, even Spart the top generals. It's, it's are... a Spartan and Italian mercenaries, yeah. I think, that uh, repel that yeah. invasion force. So yeah, uh, so it, it, it's a pretty big deal for. Um, the Carthaginians not being able to get mercenaries from Italy. Um, mm. And then three years later, after the war ends in 238 BC, the, there's a second treaty where the Carthaginians are also f uh, forced to cede uh, Corsica and Sardinia to the Romans as well. Yeah, which is a big loss. Which, yeah, which which com essentially completely destroys Carthaginian naval yeah. superiority because they lose control of pretty much all their islands in the Mediterranean yeah. near Rome. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know where they are, so Sardinia is, if you look at Rome, uh, to the left of it, you have a few, uh, a big island and a small island together. They are uh, Sardinia and Corsica. Yeah, yeah, Sardinia being the larger of the yes. two, Corsica being the smaller. So yeah, so, yeah and that, that, that's pretty much the First Punic War, and it's, it, 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 it's probably one of the most important wars as far as the Roman Empire is concerned. Yeah, and it um and because of how it ended with uh the sanctions put on Carthage and such a embarrassing defeat as such and uh the kind of resentment still in like Hamilbarca, um it's very easy to see how this progresses into the second Punic War and uh Yeah. Yeah, and how it was almost inevitable that it was gonna happen. So with the end of the First Punic War, then uh, the things that are put in place is that the Carthaginians and the Romans can't attack each other, but also the Carthaginians are not allowed to cross the river Ebro in Spain, and they're not allowed to attack the, sea, uh, the city of Saguntum, which is yeah. uh, in the same area of Spain. And uh, this is to basically allow themselves to not, not uh, interfere with each other, because Saguntum was allied to... Um, 
Rome, and it was the closest point to the Carthaginians, so it was the most natural point for them to attack. So that's what they had outlined. And so the Second Punic War comes around by Hamel, uh, Hannibal Barker uh, attacking uh, Saguntum um, and therefore breaking this treaty. So Hannibal Barker, as we've mentioned, is the son of Hamilcar Barker, the general from the last, uh, the last war. And Hannibal attacks the city. So Rome then, in 219 BC, sends an envoy to um, Hannibal, basically saying, what are you doing? Please stop this. Um, basically trying to alleviate the situation. Um, and Hannibal just refuses it and turns him away. So in 218, uh, Roman envoys then go to the Senate inside Carthage itself and declares war. Now, this is when something really interesting happens. Although Rome is the one that declares war by protecting Saguntum, um, it is Hannibal who takes his army, marches all the way around Spain, through France, and then down through the Alps with his massive army and 60 war elephants, and then arrives in the, Ro in the Italian peninsula ready to attack Rome. And this is where the war really starts, and we see our first battle here. Yeah, yeah. so the, the war kicks off properly in, in 218 BC is when it's officially declared. And the first major battle of the war is the Battle of Trebia in 218 BC, where Hannibal defeats the first of uh, many Roman armies that he defeats. Um, and then the, the following year in 217, he wins the Battle of Lake Tresemene, which is one of his most famous victories. Um, and then in 216, uh, he defeats the largest Roman army ever assembled up to that point at the Battle of Cannae with his famous double envelopment maneuver yeah. and completely annihilates the entire army, um, which is sort of a really big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, Rome had uh, raised three armies. Two of yep. them had got defeated. They've got the biggest one they have ever created. And Hannibal just destroys it, you know, yeah. but utterly, utterly destroys it. Yeah, and the battle's not even close. Um, no, no, it's a very, yeah. very uh, secure win for and, him. And, and so then after Cannae, um, probably quite naturally, a lot of Rome's allies, uh, especially in southern Italy and also Syracuse, which is becomes important, uh, mm. the, those allies all defect to the Carthaginian side, um, which now gave Hannibal the ability to wage war, or the Carthaginians, I suppose, the yeah. ability to wage war in Sicily, and they had a foothold in uh, southern Italy. So it's, it, it, it's looking pretty dire for the Romans at the start of this war within, yeah, within uh, the first three years. I think it's fair to say, at this point, if you're looking in, Rome should not be able to win this, this uh, war. You have Hannibal inside the Roman peninsula butchering army after army after army. And I do want to give credit, though, to the Romans. They are very resilient. Uh, in the first Punic War, they had to rebuild their fleet three times. In this, this yeah. Punic War, they have to rebuild their army three times. They're, they've got an insane manpower. Yeah, more that, than three times. Yeah, actually, yeah, they've got an insane manpower that no other faction or uh, empire has at this time. And it's, uh, it's quite staggering. But, you know, Hannibal is ravaging through their lands uh all their allies are switching sides it seemed hopeless so yeah so the the turning point tactically in the war for the romans uh comes when so because of the dire situation um the romans appoint uh, a guy called quintius fabius as a dictator of rome um in order to 
sort of deal with the, yeah. the threat of Hannibal. Yeah, I just want to say quickly that uh, the dictator is effectively just a single cons- cons- console. Uh, we're not saying that like uh, it's sort of like the imperial period had come early or anything like that. It wasn't like yeah. a, it's it's like a, an Augustus. It was yeah. It's a it's different. a position in the Roman Republic yeah. that they you that was appointed when the Republic was deeply threatened. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so but Fabius uh, adopts a strategy that has become known by historians as the, the Fabian strategy, um, and essentially what he did was he, he raised a, a fourth army, uh, as ridiculous as that sounds, um, and essentially um, he uses his army to like sort of delay Hannibal's advance to Rome as much as he can. Uh, so he he avoids any open battles with Hannibal. Um, because it's just not worth the risk. Um, and he sort of positions his army in ways whereby Hannibal can't actually march to Rome um, because of the just the positioning of uh, the armies and yeah. the, the terrain yeah. and stuff like that. And so whilst uh, he's delaying Hannibal for the better part of 10 years, really, um, the Romans are raising other armies to go fight the Carthaginian yeah. allies in other places because the Romans can defeat the other Carthaginian commanders. It's just Hannibal that they can't defeat. Yeah. Um, so so uh, while, whilst Fabius is delaying Hannibal, um, the Romans um, are retaking the cities in southern Italy that have defected to mm. the Carthaginians. They're, They're going to fight in Macedon. Yeah, the Macedonians. Just come yeah, in. the Macedonians who allied with the Carthaginians, the Romans go over there and, you know... Mm knock them out of the war and yeah. the, the fighting in sicily the romans are able to win because they're fighting more average carthaginian commanders compared to hannibal yeah, who yeah, was yeah who's obviously a great, yeah, a great um, commander but what's what's really important with that is the fact that they're trying to protect rome for such a long time period really it's just a race against the clock because they know mm. that if they if the, if rome falls it's the last nail in the coffin they're done they can't recover from losing rome as well yeah. that would be the end of the war so they're sort of just holding them off as long as they can dealing with all the external threats to then come back and really go at the carthaginians yeah, yeah and one once, once they've sort of reined in a lot of their own rebellious allies and they've sort of pushed back the threats to Sicily and southern Italy from their, from the Carthaginian allies, um, they are able to go on the offensive. And so um, uh, Publius Cornelius Scipio um, goes uh, with a military expedition to Spain uh, and begins attacking Carthaginian controlled yes, Iberia. Yeah. Uh, and so he takes uh, Carthago Nova, which was the Carthaginian capital in Spain. Yeah. Uh, he takes that in 209 BC. Um, and then in 206 BC, uh, he defeats um, an army of the Carthaginians. Um, and that essentially uh, secures Roman control over uh, Iberia. Mm. Um, but which... what this does is it unsettles the Carthaginians. So their yeah. main army and force is now locked up being... Um, being dealt with in the Italian peninsula by the new dictator, and they they can't they can't seem to get a break. Yeah. They can't they can't fight them. They keep running away and all this. And at the same time, they're just being ravished in uh, in Iberia, Spain. Um, so they're in a bit of predicament now. Uh, they've lost yeah. all their allies. They've all been defeated by Rome. Rome's now powerful again. Yeah. Uh, and, what do and, they do? And it especially goes get it gets worse for them because I think in a, uh, somewhere around two hundred four BC, I think it is uh, uh, Cornelius Scipio. Uh, takes his army from Spain uh, into Africa, uh, which really unsettles the, the Carthaginians, and he yeah. he, he starts uh, he, he makes significant gains through Africa, um, and so eventually I think it's in two hundred three BC two hundred two BC 
um, the Carthaginian Senate actually has to recall Hannibal's army from Italy. And so the, the knife is finally removed from Rome's throat. And, yeah. um, in, and instead placed on the Carthaginians because yeah. now the Roman army is near Carthage. Yeah. You know, they've just gone from potentially uh, taking the city of Rome and now the city of Carthage is under threat. Yeah. And Carthage hasn't been able to do anything to stop it. Yeah, um, and then and then th- this all culminates in a, a towards, the, I, think, I think it's just right at the end of 202 BC, um, the, the Battle of Zama happens, which is... Uh, the the big final showdown, if you like, it's uh, the the army of Scipio uh, versus uh, Hannibal's army, and yeah. uh, Scipio does the uh, essentially the unthinkable. He defeats Hannibal, um, yeah. and um, that that essentially ends the war. Uh, peace is uh, signed. It's the the Carthaginian peace is what uh, yeah. it's called, I believe. Uh, that's signed in two hundred one BC. Uh, it, 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 it's pretty bad for the Carthaginians. It's it's a lot worse than the end of the first Punic War, I think. Um, yeah. Yes. A and lot and, worse. and uh, Scipio gets his. Uh, he get he has uh, honorary title. He gets he gets called Scipio Africanus. Yeah. Um, but what what's important is when you said like it, the the sanctions after this war is a lot worse. Uh, we'll go into that a little yeah. bit. So in the first Punic War, we told we as we said they lost a little bit of land. They lost some islands. Uh, and there was regulations like you can't, you know, attack us, you can't attack our allies, you can't cross this river. Well, now Rome had been like, well, we tried to warn you once, you've done it again, yeah. so now we're going to really put sanction on you. So, so they've lost all their land in Iberia, also in areas of Africa. They're yeah, out the, of Sicily they, now. Yeah, the, the Carthaginians lose all of Numidia. Yeah, they've just um, basically got the area around Carthage itself. It's yeah. a very small place. They're now not allowed to raise any armies whatsoever. Yeah, which is probably the most you know? one of the more important parts their their yeah. navy is also limited to 10 ships it's never allowed to be larger than 10 ships and those ships are only allowed to be used to um regulate against pirates yeah um, they're not allowed to be used like for invasions yeah. or anything like that basically what they've done is they've taken a superpower of the mediterranean world uh, and turned them into essentially a trading city and they have no military yeah, they, they, might at they, all they, they pretty much lose their independence uh, i think it, yeah it, it, it's pretty safe to say that they're just a roman client state after the yeah Second yeah Punic i think War. you could probably argue this it is uh not completely because you know of uh, their politics are very you know yeah. liberal and you know they're not actually owned by rome but essentially what they were is is a former self. They they are no longer the Carthaginian Empire. They're a small, minor um, faction inside the Mediterranean. Yeah. So as we've just mentioned, um, Ro- uh, Rome had put a lot of sanctions on the Carth- Carthaginians, and one of them was that they couldn't raise an army. And um, unfortunately for the Carthaginians, this is sort of why the next war happens, yeah. the final war, because... Um, so Carthage is put in a very bad spot. So in uh, 151 BC, the Numidians, who are a local um, faction nearby... Um, yeah, it's the part of Africa to the west of Carthage. Yeah. Well, way to say it. Yeah, well, they start yeah. launching raids on the Carthaginian territory, and the Carthaginians felt they had to do something. So they raised an army to defeat that. So although they've... They haven't done anything to Rome. They haven't raised anything to attack Rome. They're just defending themselves. This broke the treaty that Rome had put on them. And uh, it meant Rome had then threatened them with war and basically said, you disband your army or we're going to come over and kill you again. 
Um, and this scared uh, a few of the Carthaginian towns, especially uh, Utica, who uh, flipped sides and joined the Romans um, out of fear. And the Romans seized this opportunity and then sent 80,000 men to, uh, to disembark in Utica. And by doing this, basically, uh, the war had started. And uh, Carthage was going to defend themselves, and the Romans um, were then going to attack them because they wouldn't get rid of their army, yeah. um, you know. So the Romans go up to Carthage. They actually go to the city. They besiege it, and it's a long siege. It takes about three years. And there are minor skirmishes and battles throughout these, none really noteworthy. Yeah, the, Ro- the Romans almost lose a couple, but uh, Scipio Emilianus, who comes out pretty well in Polybius. Polybius was his uh, personal tutor. Yeah. He, he tends to solve most of Rome's problems, which... Yeah, I just want to say also, this Scipio Emilianus, although he's got the same name as Scipio, is not like a son of Scipio Africanus we talked yeah. about earlier. They're, they're in the, the, they're, same they're, they're the same family. Uh, and also, Scipio Emilianus also gets the name Africanus, which is sort of confusing. Yeah, that is quite confusing. But, <laughs> yeah, especially when it's all the same topic yeah, as well. It's about, it's about 50 <laughs> years later, so they, they aren't the same person, but... Um, yeah, but uh, eventually uh, Scipio Emilianus wins the siege against Carthage and uh, a large proportion of the city's population are either killed or enslaved. And then Scipio Emilianus then after, in a 17-day period starts systematically to uh, burn the city of Carthage. And we know this uh, from Polybius who says that he was there and witnessed it. That's debatable. I think, I think not... it's reasonable to assume he would have. It could have been, but... I'm, I'm you know. a bit biased, though, I think. Mm. But, but yeah. there's a lot of authors in history who yeah. claim they do stuff, like Herodotus, and they probably didn't in the end. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, but Polybius does have a connection to Scipio Emilianus. He was sort of his tutor. Um, so you have to take that into account. You know, maybe it's a bit biased, you know. Is, is all of it true? Uh, we'll go with yes. <laughs> we'll go with yes for now. But, um, yeah. yeah, we have to take that into consideration. And so, yeah, they systematically burn the city and... Um, they basically raise it completely off the ground. It's uh, there is no remnants of it left until Caesar comes in and rebuilds it. Yeah, and there's the yeah. there's the old thing that they salt the ground. Which yeah, probably isn't true. No, it's probably yeah. not true. You can't dismiss it completely, no. but it it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, um, and a lot of uh, Monday um, scholars dispute it as well. Yeah. Uh, it's not just us with some tin 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 foil hats on just doing conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, that that basically. Yeah. yeah, it goes pretty badly for Carthage. Uh, it's basically the yeah. end of the Punic Wars after that. Yeah, and this is also the end of Carthage. They yeah. get uh, absorbed into the Roman Empire. Um, yeah, they're, the, they're not. They don't. They're not like a client state. They don't rule as Carthage and just yeah, have an overlord. Yeah, fully annexed. Yes, by fully the, annexed. The Romans. So we've briefly talked about what happens in the wars and what 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 went down. But um, something that's quite interesting is why did they happen? Why did these two major uh, factions clash against each other um you know and uh what's interesting it's debated modern day and ancient day we're going to talk about that a bit later but so i would like to know chris for the first punic war why do you think they did start so so as as we um mentioned earlier it's the the mamatines send the envoy to rome to ask rome to come help them yeah. defend themselves right and so that's the the start of the war if you will but uh, Polybius rants and raves about this a lot, but he he would say that that's the beginnings of the war. Yeah, um, is how he describes it. Whereas the cause of the war is something separate, and he talks about that in the context of the Second Punic War. But it's something that you look at in the the First Punic War as well. 
And I think I would say the reason that the first Punic War happens is because of something that... So, so it, it's something that uh, historians uh, call defensive imperialism. And it's mm. sort of the major, like, Roman foreign policy um, in the kind of middle Republican period mm. from around the, the First Punic War to mm. really the end of the Third Punic War. So what is exactly defensive imperialism? So, so the best way to describe it, I think, is if you, if you think about imperialism generally in the kind of normal sense of the word, right? So you think, like, why did Alexander invade the Persian Empire, right? Yeah. It was because he wanted the land. He wanted the glory. Uh, if you think about why um, the British Empire and a lot of the colonial empires in the kind of early modern period uh, invaded a lot of, like, like Africa, the Americas, India, places like that, it was because they uh, wanted the resources, right? They're, they're ag- aggressing for yeah. a specific purpose. What's the, right? Yeah, the purpose of it. Yeah, so yeah. They're, 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 they're trying to gain something out of it. Whereas Rome, in pretty much all of their wars in the Republican period, and, and most of the wars in general in Roman history, um, it, it, if even though they, they might be for that, and, and you can often argue that they are for those reasons, the Romans always portray themselves as the ones being attacked. Yeah. And, and they're doing things defensively, right? So the First Punic War isn't because the Romans want to own Sicily, it's that they don't want the Carthaginians to own Sicily because yes. they perceive that as a threat. So they are defending themselves by attacking the Carthaginians. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that, that's what we would call defensive imperialism. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much why I would say that the Romans go to war with the Carthaginians in the First Punic War. Because I think that the Carthaginians aren't openly attacking the Romans at the time. It, mm. it is pretty much the romans who start the fighting yeah yeah Uh, it's portrayed as a defensive act yeah uh rome does this very well they spin something where they are clearly the aggressors to be the defenders yeah it it happens in most roman wars in the republican period i mean if you think of the um the roman invasion of um cisalpine gaul which is uh like the top of it, what, what you'd now think of Italy, but it's not what the Romans called Italy. It's kind of like um, where Genoa and um, Milan and Venice Yeah, the are, very north northern, aspect of it, yeah. Um, Italy. Um, th- their invasion of that um, is sort of portrayed as... So the, the, the Gauls invade uh, into Italy a lot, and there's a lot of like Gallic raids into Italy. And so yeah. the Romans, to defend the borders of the Italian province, expand their borders. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> And, and then, yeah, there's, uh, the most wars are similar. The the Macedonian wars, um, up, so the Romans ally themselves with various leagues of Greek cities, right? And the Macedonians are always saying, no, those Greek cities should be allied with us. We we should control them. At which point the Romans are like, oh, you're infringing on the independence of our allies, right? And yeah, so the Romans then yeah, go to war with yeah, them. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's that that kind of idea and... and that the, the the first big major example of that in Roman history, I think, is the First Punic War. Yeah, um, yes, it probably is the first um, thing of this. But what's interesting is this idea of this uh, defensive imperialism that we believe is probably the reason for the first one could also be the reason for the second one. So the second yeah. one starts, as I mentioned earlier, with the town of Saguntum getting uh, besieged. Well, that's there's two reasons as to why that happened. So, 
you've got the Roman point of view and the, the Carthaginian point yeah, of view. Yeah, there's, there's so, two sides to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the Carthaginian side because I think it's quite interesting because it's from the Roman side as well. So it's uh, Roman historians have basically written, wrote down and said that... Um, the Hamilbarca, basically, at the end of the war, uh, the First Punic War, was so upset and so angry at what happened with losing the territories. I yeah. mean, losing the war as a whole. Just as far like, as he was concerned, by the time that, that war ended, he, he, he still hadn't lost and he was still fighting. No, he was holding Sicily and he yeah. was, in fact, he felt he could invade more and reclaim more. Yeah. So, no, he definitely was not ready for the war to end. And so I think he probably felt quite betrayed that the Carthaginian Senate had agreed to a peace yeah. and lost, you know, Corsica, Sardinia, quite important things. And, and their huge taxes on them, where they had to pay 3,200 talents over a 10-year period. These are all crippling things which he felt very angry by. And so what um, uh, Livy has wrote down and what Polybius has, has also written is that um, this anger transcended from him into his son Hannibal. Yeah, it, it comes through in Polybius because there's a... So Polybius gives a, a, a nice, very Polybius-style anecdote. Um, where cause, So after the Second Punic War... Um, Hannibal flees to the Seleucid Empire in the court of Antiochus III. Um, and uh, Polybius gives this nice anecdote that is probably made up. That, uh, Polybius wouldn't have been there. Um, uh, he wasn't even born yet, I don't think. so. Uh, but he essentially Hannibal, when he arrives, um, Antiochus III doesn't trust him, uh, as you would expect, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, just a uh, random general's opinion. Hannibal, Hannibal explains to him the reason that everything has happened. Mm. Um, and part of that is him describing his own um, anger, anger and resentment and uh, hatred towards Rome that he was instilled in him by his father. Yeah. Um, and that was the reason that he attacked Rome. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's why he marched all, uh, and done such an amazing feat of going through the Alps. You know, he yeah. wanted to risk all this because his anger had to be... It, Rome had to have... They had to have vengeance on Rome. They had yeah. to bring the fight to them because he... He just detested them yeah. for the losses that the Carthaginians had taken. Um, yeah. So, but then there's there's another reason, and that's the defensive imperialism, isn't there? Yeah. So, so because so our two main sources for the Second Punic War are firstly Polybius, and then secondly um, Livy. And um, Livy is a bit Livy's a bit less um, systematic and critical. Uh, with his history. It's just the style in which he writes. And he uh, says that the cause of the war um, is Hannibal attacking Saguntum, right? Uh, mm. And the Roman response to that um, is to defensively declare war on the, the Carthaginians, right? Yeah. But Polybius describes that as the beginnings of the war, which is where the kind of com conflict comes up in our um, sources. And the reason that Polybius does this is that there were um, uh, Roman historians before Polybius, who was a, a, a Greek, um, th those Roman historians had also described the cause of the Second Punic War as being the attacking of Saguntum by Hannibal. Mm. Um, the, the the main one being Fabius Pictor, I think, which uh, who Polybius often rants about how he doesn't like Fabius Pictor. Yeah. Um, but so so Polybius says that that's the beginnings of the war in the same way, that, and and the the anecdote Polybius uses is that if if Hannibal attacking Saguntum was the cause of the war. Then Alexander the Great crossing into um, Turkey was the cause of his war with the Persian Empire, which he poses as some kind of uh, hilarious fallacy. Mm. Um, and so Polybius outlines the cause of the war as um, essentially being that Hannibal hated the Romans because his father hated the Romans, which is yeah. 
fair, pretty probably true. Um, yeah. But there is the Roman side to it that Livy picks up on, and he doesn't do it in a in a great amount of detail. Um, but Polybius sort of ignores almost, which is the idea that there is defensive imperialism at hand here again, because yeah. Rome could have not gone to war uh, when yeah. Hannibal attacked Saguntum, uh, but but they 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 do, and it's defensive again, but they use it as a means by which to expand their influence. Mm. Because what we've got to remember is Carthage didn't actually start the war. Rome sent envoys saying, we are, we're now at war. Yeah. It wasn't Carthage saying, we're, we're going to attack and we're starting a war. It was all the Romans. And, you know, you can argue, why did the Romans just do it for Saguntum? So Hannibal was expanding all through Iberia, which is Spain. You know, why was it just Saguntum that was the problem? Well, you know? I think... As, as part of the treaties after the First Punic War, right, the, the Romans kind of say, sure, Carthage, you can have Spain. That's, that's, that's kind of why... I think, I think part of the important part of Saguntum and the fact that neither side was to attack it or cross the Ebro mm. is that it sort of limited Carthaginian expansion into just Spain. Yes, And then after that. that, they couldn't really go anywhere without attacking mm. Rome or, like, the Egyptians, which probably wouldn't have gone well for them. No, um, no. So, kind of... It essentially boxed Carthage in whilst Rome was free to expand elsewhere. Yeah, um, it did do that. But so so it, it's it's pretty much inevitable that the Carthaginians would have attacked Saguntum eventually or attacked Rome again, um, and 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 the Romans probably knew that. Mm. Um, and you get in Polybius' account uh, there are Roman senators that are at the moment that they receive news that Hannibal's sieging Saguntum, they're like, all right, get them, let's go to war. Yeah, um, there is a big that, shift, that, that, isn't there? That, that, there's in a faction there. in the Roman Senate that is like that. Um, yeah, some are very pro, uh, pro going to war. I mean, they haven't Hannibal hadn't even attacked the city. Yeah. There were just rumors of it, and so they were. Some senators were, we, let's go fight yeah. them. Let's do it now. Which, Others were more timid. Which really you know. brings into question the sort of defensive imperialism, because on one hand, it, the, the war is, it, it's defensive for Rome. I mean, realistically, Saguntum as a neutral party in the treaty has been attacked by the Carthaginians. The Carthaginians broke the treaty, and so they're aggressing against Rome. Right? Yes. So it is a defensive mm. war, but there is that kind of idea that Rome also wanted to go to war with the Carthaginians, mm. or at least part of Rome. So something I find quite interesting, and actually makes me feel like this defensive imperialism is for only Rome's benefit, is the fact that when ha uh, Hannibal besieges Saguntum, Rome doesn't actually help them. They don't send a relief force. They don't, um, you know, come and help the city out, it's, right, well, that war started, let's not go over and do anything with there, let's just focus on Carthage as the enemy. So I think, yes, you know, Saguntum is the cause, now being, the, the city being attacked is the cause for it, but I don't think the idea behind Rome's defence imperialism is to help these places or protect these places or yeah. be a friend to these which is why we, they help yeah yeah which is why we tack imperialism onto the end of it i think because yeah it, it's defensive in nature but the the end goal is still the expansion of territory um yeah i think it's, it's not i mean the war is defensive but there's like kind of an ulterior motive where they're, yeah, it's, they're it's, looking it's, to expand as a result of yeah it's defensive to get bigger yeah. So it's that mindset. If I'm the most powerful, no one can threaten me. But mm. the only way you get powerful is by defeating people. And they do it in a way where they never seem as aggressive. It's very, very clever. Very clever. Yeah. You know, there's not many 
uh, other um, kingdoms out there that do this sort of behavior. Yeah, especially not on the same with the same consistency as the Romans. I don't think. Mm. Pretty much, I mean, all their wars are we're being threatened, so we have to go and attack these people. Yeah. Um, so with these two aspects that we're talking about then, the defensive imperialism on one side and this sort of Carthaginian hatred for Rome, which one would you say you're more inclined to believe? It's a difficult question because, so, I mean, it's a topic that's been debated uh, as far as we're aware since Polybius is writing, which is in, like, around the 140s. It's probably after the end of the Third Punic War that he's writing. Yeah. Um so the the 140s BC and and that that's the earliest recording that we have of somebody arguing about what the cause of the Second Punic War is. Yeah, um, it's just, happened ever since it, yeah, the actual event cause, happened. Cause really, Polybius is arguing with previous Roman historians like Fabius Pictor, um, and so it, it, it's difficult to say. I think I think the war would have happened eventually without Hannibal. Mm. because i think the fact that carthage the carthaginians were locked into spain by this treaty at the ebro and saguntum that would have eventually like the carthaginians would have eventually broken the treaty without hannibal so i think it was inevitable that kind of sort of defensive setup where rome has set it up in a way that they'll get to go to war again with the carthaginians but they'll Mm. get to swing it as they're the defender right it is sort of inevitable yeah but i think it happens when it does because of hannibal yeah i think that's probably my easiest way to get around that question without answering it properly yeah (laughs) see i I would i would argue that actually the whole the whole reason why this happened is just because of rome because every single feature leads to rome so the hatred for rome is there because of the absurd sanctions they put on them. A bit like uh, Weimar Germany, why World War Two started. Yeah. There was a lot of resentment, you know, for the uh, rest of Europe because of, like, taking the Rhineland and such. But um, with this, they've been, they've been crippled economically. They've... Yep. A lot of land has been taken. Their armies are uh, not as significant anymore because of the mercenary problem. Mm-hmm. So... You know that that discontent is there because of Rome, and then Rome's also put this treaty in. You, if you cross this river and you attack this town, which is a natural um, expansion place for them, war was always inevitable. Yeah. So I personally would say this sort of defensive imperialism idea is probably the main feature for it starting. It for me, all roads lead to that. All roads lead to Rome. Yeah. <laughs> well, not for Hannibal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about what's happened in the war, why the war started. Now let's talk about what happened because of the war, the end product. So we all know that Rome won this war. Uh, Rome had taken all of the Carthaginian land, incorporated it into themselves, and is now a major power in the Mediterranean, not just the Western Mediterranean anymore, but the Mediterranean. Um, and we also know that Rome becomes a very, very large empire and in a very short space of time takes a huge amount of land through their war machine um, that a lot of people like to put onto it. So my question really to you is, how much do you think that this Punic War series has on it? Are they now the superpower we all know and love? Yeah, so I mean... So the, fir- the first 
to answer the second part of that question, I suppose, is so especially in the Western Mediterranean, after the Third Punic War, there just, like, isn't anyone else, really. Um, no, there isn't. And, and by, by the end of the Third Punic War as well, they've also defeated the Seleucid Empire in a war as well. So so by the end of the Third Punic War, they are pretty much undeniably the, the, the largest, most powerful um, political entity in the Mediterranean. Um, yeah, yes. But, but I think one, one, one thing that's interesting about the, the Punic Wars and why they're important with regards to that is... Is, so so it, com- it comes from Polybius again, and I harp on about Polybius a lot. It's a problem I have. Um, Alec, <laughs> Alex gets annoyed at me a lot. But um, what, what Polybius' book, essentially, he starts it out, that book one, chapter one of Polybius, he says the the reason that he is writing is to determine how and under what constitution did Rome, in a period of less than 50 years, come to conquer the entire Greek world, right? And he focuses on the Greek world because Polybius is Greek, right? And so he just is focusing on it. But um, Polybius starts that exposition of how and why in a period of less than 50 years did they come to conquer the Greek world. He starts that with the First Punic War and then the Second Punic War. And and it's that kind of... It's the Punic Wars that essentially start Rome on its conquest of the mediterranean well yeah i mean look at rome before the punic wars and they are they own the italian peninsula so they've beaten the etruscans right which were another group inside uh one day italy um and but apart from that they have nothing really else they've got a little bit of influence in other places but at no point are they a major player I would say they're a strong, strong faction, and that is seen by their ability to just rebuild fleets, rebuild armies. They are definitely uh, a a, a um, power you don't want to mess with, but they are not at the likes of Carthage or or Egypt or the Seleucid Empire at this point. Yeah, no, especially not before the First Punic War. I think after the First Punic War, you're starting to think about them on that kind of level of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, w- would. Would at the time of the Second Punic War the Romans would be would they have been able to defeat the Seleucids? And obviously it's a dif- difficult question because the Seleucid political situation in that kind of period yeah. would have affected it greatly. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's that that kind of question. But definitely by the end of the Second Punic War, Rome is on that level of the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic empires in the Eastern Mediterranean. Yes. Um, and yeah, and and it's that that kickstarts their their conquest of the the Greek world because immediately almost immediately following the um second punic war uh, in the early, in the 190s bc right is when the macedonian wars start happening yeah. and and one major reason for those macedonian wars is that the the romans are again def- they swing it as a defensive war but you could argue that they're just looking for an excuse to attack the macedonians because they allied with the carthaginians um and so the, the romans end up allying with a some Greek cities and then the Macedonians mm. say no those Greek cities are ours um, and then the Romans are no you're infringing upon the independence of our allies and so they go toward the Macedonians and that uh, the Macedonian kingdom is eventually crushed I think it's at the Battle of Kinekephali which is towards the end of the 190s BC um, and then you know Rome essentially after that has conquered the whole Greek peninsula um, and, yeah. then, and then and then that kind of period of less than 50 years as Polybius describes it comes to a head in 146 BC again because in 146 BC they don't so they the Romans raise Carthage but they also raise Corinth which yeah. um, ends any sort of like 
hopes of Greek autonomy in the way that yeah. they would have had in old classical Greece. Yeah, or even um, Hellenistic Greece. Yeah, you know? right. So, yeah. So it's the, it's that kind of thing, which which then and then their conquest of the Macedonians and and their defeat of the Macedonians is what eventually leads to war with the Seleucids as well, mm. and they beat the Seleucids and impose a really heavily crippling treaty on the Seleucids in the same way they did to the Carthaginians, yeah. which effectively ends any hope of the Seleucids defeating yeah. the Romans. I and think then... what it is clear to see is actually by the end of this, Rome has, Rome has developed two features um, that is notorious for their superpower sort of um, ideas that go along with when you talk about Rome, and that's their military might and their political um, ability. So what I mean by that is so the fact that they are able to now go and defeat the Greeks, defeat the Macedonians, defeat the Seleucids, you know, and just keep steamrolling places on and on and on. This all does come from this kind of Punic War and that expansion and that ability to gain more land, get more people. But also politically, how they... Um, how they can impose and put their own wants onto people. So this defensive imperialism, they can make yeah. a war happening. They can make it, sorry, they can make a war happen by the other person attacking them. Yeah. You know, but it's something they want and the other people don't. Yeah. They, they, they start to develop these features, which is, uh, which for me does really highlight this idea that they are now the biggest player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, and it's, it's obvious, right? Cause they, they end up just slowly, not even slowly, really. They just kind of conquer the whole Mediterranean world, and it, it takes them a while to finish off Egypt. But yeah, that's because Egypt is handy um, with the grain supplies. But um, yeah, I think it, it's pretty unquestionable following the Punic Wars that Rome is the major player in the Mediterranean, and and it because uh, before they've even finished conquering the Mediterranean with Egypt, sort of sitting around being sort of semi-independent if you want um they're they're, they're they have moved on from the mediterranean almost and they before before they incorporate um egypt they're having numerous wars with the the parthian empire out in iran mm. and stuff like that so they they've, they've sort of moved on from the mediterranean um pretty quickly um yes their their expansion is incredible um yeah. you know it, but but also like their political like you were talking about the military expansion but also the, I'm just bringing it back to this sort of political expansion um, where yeah. they they're not just their ability to swing things in their manner but how they can have influence over situations they shouldn't so I'm going to use an example here so Antiochus the fourth besieges the city of Alexand Alexandria so Antiochus the fourth is a king of the Seleucid Empire mm -hmm. and Alexandria is a city in the Egyptian. Uh, empire or kingdom and uh Antiochus IV comes to the city of Alexandria besieges it and is about to take it but a Roman uh general uh comes over literally draws a circle in the sand around his feet and says if you you have to come up here make a decision you either take Alexandria and you're at war with Rome or you walk back and you're still friends and it's that's incredible because they're not even involved in this conflict but rome still has the final decision on what happens with these two kingdoms and they're not even client states or yeah. satrapies of rome you know it's yeah. an incredible uh, reach they have over people yeah and another aspect to it again which is sort of coming in with polybius again the idea of under what constitution just the the 
means by which Rome is able to um, incorporate uh, new territory and new like client states into their administrative structure um, through the like systems of provinces and governors and um, like proconsuls and uh, or yeah procasters and things like that and the, and how how administratively they're able to organize things so efficiently and quickly mm. that allows the kind of like fast turnaround after wars, which is why you get war after war after yeah. war, yeah. Um, which which uh, it, it is something that's in place without the Punic Wars, which is, is, is something that's worth knowing. But it, it's part of the reason that makes the Punic Wars so, or n- not easy, but it's part of the reason that they win the Second Punic War especially is because of that flexibility of their political system yeah Um. so what i think uh the punic wars have done for rome is essentially made them double like expand extremely quickly uh under a very short amount of time which has then allowed them to have this episode of 50 years say to then have massive expansion it's propelled them so much to get them on a base where they can then do this if they did not fight carthage and they started you know taking bits of gaul and bits of Illyria, stuff like that it would be a much slower expansion i think and i think Mm -hmm. the punic wars is fundamental in what roman history without the punic wars i don't think rome could become what they did yeah it it, it kickstarts the whole roman empire basically Mm. because um i mean the end of the first punic war establishes their naval superiority, frees them up to invade uh, various places. So they invade Illyria, they invade Cisalpine Gaul, mm. they start taking small bits of Spain, southern France, kind of stuff like that. They're expanding their influence politically mm. um, with a lot of trading deals and things like that. Um, and then the, the Second Punic War, they take the whole of Spain and suddenly they've essentially doubled the land size of their territory. Oh, easily, um, easily. And then, and then, if you include the the adding on of the client kingdom of Numidia following the Second Punic War, yeah. they 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 really have like over doubled the size of their. But territory. what it's also done is by them getting all this new territory, it means they've got got new neighbors, new people bordering on them. So, yeah. so for instance, by having uh, new areas in Spain that they didn't have previously, the now the new kingdoms next to them are starting to get an idea of Rome. They're they, they could be easier to transition with, they can put their influence on them, but there is also the flip side where they could become hostile. Mm. So they could start to resent the idea of Rome because it's a massive threat, there's a huge empire, which I would actually argue now it's an empire, is next to them, um, you know, so they might start conflicts. But what this does, it means Rome is then shoved into wars because there are hostile um, neighbours on them, and... But when they defeat them, perhaps it's easier to transition that because they're more used to Roman influence then. Yeah, I think that argument could be made. And I think one, one important point that you brought up as well is the idea that as a result of the First and Second Punic Wars, you, you can officially describe Rome as an empire, I think, because yeah. a lot of people will say you separate Roman history into the Republican and the Imperial period, right? And in the Imperial period, they are the Roman Empire. Yes. But I think it's... It, 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 it should be said that that the the Roman Republic is an empire. Um, yeah. An, an empire doesn't have to have an emperor. No, um, it just needs a, a, a state, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, which would be the Senate. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, I think that idea of 
just like the propulsion of Roman expansion to like so so quickly take all of Spain. I mean, it took it takes the Carthaginians the better part of like twenty years to take all of their Spanish territories, and then yeah. the Romans just get it from them in in one fell swoop. Um, yeah, in about like five or six years, this uh, Scipio's campaign in Spain. So yeah, it was a uh, very quick and very uh, devastating. Um, and I think it's also really important, actually, just to highlight um, how lucky we are to have Hannibal and Scipio Africanus, two great generals, yeah. in the same war. Because a lot of people talk like, oh, who's better, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. But this is like one of the few times we actually have two amazing generals in the same battle fighting each other. You know, it's really rare. Uh, yeah. I just think that I love that about the Punic Wars. You yeah, know, you get you get the best of every bit every bit. <laughs> yeah, the second Punic War is definitely one of the more fun wars to study. Yeah, um, definitely. So I guess to conclude then, we've we've sort of agreed that um Rome definitely did become an empire because of the Punic Wars. And this is the point where Rome now becomes the foundations of what we know and love Rome to be. Um, and it's also clear that with the end of the Second Punic War, Rome had now become the definite superpower in the Western Mediterranean, and at this point is probably now also the biggest superpower in the Mediterranean. The Seleucid Empire and the Egyptian Empire uh, are still large, but they uh, definitely it would definitely be a challenge for them to defeat Rome at this point. Um, so, I, yes, I think it's clear that Rome had now become what we know and love. Rome is now the empire that's going to take over most of the known world. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of the AIQ podcast. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Christopher Kearney for yeah. coming on and being our special guest. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Yeah. I like talking. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can get you back in the future, um, yeah. do a different subject. Maybe you like a bit more. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, so we're just going to uh, read off a couple of books now. Chris is going to suggest one book that he would recommend you read if you want to read about this subject. And I'm going to recommend one as well. So what's your book? Yeah, so I'm a... I'm, a, I'm big on the ancient sources, um, so honestly, I would recommend just uh, reading Polybius's account of um, the main, especially the first and second Punic Wars. Uh, the first Punic War is um, book one of Polybius's histories, and the second Punic War is book three of Polybius' histories. Um, yeah, I think I think starting at the ancient sources is generally a, a good place to go, and then being able to engage with the ancient sources really helps develop an understanding of events and things like that. Mm. See, and I'm, I'm quite big on the modern side. I like reading the ancient text, but I really like to get a modern conception of it because there are a lot of problems with ancient texts, I find. You know, there is this uh, historical bias that um, is very hard to see and underline why it's there and where it is and when it goes away and what's true and not. So I really like to get a modern idea who put, uh, with people who put modern theories onto them onto uh, the ancient text. So I would really recommend The Fall of Carthage, The Punic Wars. And that's done by uh, a gentleman called Adrian Goldsworthy. Thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you next time.